Hello, it's 15th of October 2017, and this is episode 45 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? It's been really exciting. <laughs> it has, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, if people listen to our quick reaction podcast after the trailer came out, they'll probably have noticed that we seemed a bit shell-shocked. Because <laughs> it was like, when I was watching it, I was like, is this really the trailer? <laughs> like, it looked like some kind of fan edit. Not in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, but just because it was like exactly what I would have hoped for, but didn't expect because it was really like laying it all out there. Um, mm. And at, we'll get to it in our full breakdown, but there are elements of it that I've, since I've been talking to people who I, I guess you could describe them as casual fans, although I know that sounds super elitist, but basically fans who like, like Star Wars are really excited about the movie, but like aren't keeping up with theories and whatever. Um, and it seems like the general perception could mean that it's a misdirection. But to us, it means something different. So mm. I guess we'll get to that in time. Yeah. No, it's so, so cool. I I told Kirsty a few hours ago that this trailer almost feels like a recording of my dreams. <laughs> um, which I know sounds hyperbolic, but it really does, you know? And that's just such an amazing yet surreal thing. Because in that reaction podcast, I, I mention it in the reaction podcast, I think, but... I had literally just woken up and it was like 5.30 a.m. So I was really sleep deprived and I did almost feel like I was hallucinating because it was just too perfect. Mm. Um, I kind of avoided talking about that too much because I thought, well, if I'm hallucinating the trailer, I'm probably also hallucinating the fact that I'm doing a podcast about the trailer. (laughs) So therefore I should at least maintain internal consistency and not comment on the fact that this feels like a hallucination. Um, See, I didn't go on about it too much but that was a thought that was in my mind and yeah here we are it's like five days or almost a week actually my god Mm. um but yeah it's been a while and it's definitely real it's definitely a thing that exists and i don't think i'll ever get over it just such an amazing trailer yeah it's been really fun uh watching like reaction like as people are watching the I didn't realize this was such a big thing. Like there's tons of YouTube videos of people recording themselves watching it. <laughs> it's really entertaining. Yes. I've watched way too many of them just because it's so funny to see like <laughs> people's <laughs> like cycles of emotion on their face. Um, and yeah, listen to lots of other people on their podcasts and everyone. It, it's, it's done its job because people are so excited and they're asking all sorts of new questions. Um, yeah. It's a great trailer in my opinion. Yeah. I've, I really think it's marked this like seismic shift in the fandom and just like the whole conversation surrounding the movie. Yeah. And that is probably the best thing for me. So I feel like for so long people just focused on these stagnant questions like uh, who Ray's parents are and who Snoke is. And I just think every possible conversation that could be had about those questions has already been had. Mm-hmm. Every single conceivable theory has been presented, debated over, argued, and tossed out or put in the maybe pile. And there's literally just nothing more to say. But now the questions that are being asked are so much more interesting, and I think they're so much more rich, and they just provide such a deeper level of engagement. And yeah, that's just so amazing to me. So I think 
watching the trailer for The Last Jedi, it made me realise that something that Star Wars probably does better than any other film series is it makes you so deeply invested in the characters and the situations they find themselves in. So, like, I would watch the full Ragnarok trailer or the Justice League trailer and nowhere in like any of those promo materials was I thinking, hmm, I wonder how this character found themselves in this situation. What are they going to do about this dilemma? Like, whereas in the trailer for The Last Jedi... I really get this very strong feeling that it's all about the character's psychology and the choices they're going to have to make and the situations they're going to find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And just that focus on character and the workings inside their heads. I think that's absent from almost every other major big budget franchise. Yeah. That's why I love Star Wars so much because it offers that. Exactly. That's, that's why I love it too. Um, Because you do just get so attached to the characters and, I don't watch a ton of the big franchise. Like I'm not really a Marvel or a DC person or whatever. That those two seem to be the other big, big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just don't think they have the same depth there to the characters and the story. Yeah. Um. So Star Wars is mythology to me. Yeah. Um. And it and I think that's why it has resonated with people for so long. And Ryan Johnson has been talking about the character arcs for quite a while. Like I think from his early interviews, he was talking about how he wrote down on a napkin when he was first thinking about where the story would go next, that he was starting with the characters and like what would be the most challenging things he could present them with. Yeah. Um, so it's always been there. Like that's, that seems to have been the driving force. So that was what we got us excited from the beginning, aside from the force awakens itself. Yeah. And I, I am so excited to see the fandom talking about these things now because a big reason why we started our podcast, and I guess it's timely now because we're like at our year anniversary. Yes. <laughs> um, I can't believe we've been doing it for a year already. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like we we started the podcast like primarily because we were struggling to find other podcasters out there who were like we're really diving into this dynamic. And I don't necessarily mean even in a shippy sense, but I just felt like for whatever reason. Um, and maybe it's the fault of the mystery box. And we've talked about that plenty of times before, but it did seem like these other questions, like the ones you talk about, like raised parentage and who Snoke is and whatever, they just somehow took over. And I really never thought that they were particularly interesting or what the story was going to be about. Yeah. So I'm so excited that even though, you know, we're pretty close to getting the movie now, but it does seem to have sparked this revival in the fandom with people genuinely excited about what's going to happen because yeah, th- those things were really becoming stagnant. Like, there's only so much you can say about who Snoke might be if he's an existing character or someone new. And it just never seemed to be the point. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah. It was just really great. And I think the trailer really reminded me of why I love Star Wars so much. And I think it did that for a lot of other people as well. Because this trailer has done incredibly well. Like, it's got far more views than that initial teaser trailer for The Last Jedi did. Mm. And it even beat the Force Awakens trailer for views in the first 24 hours. Oh, really? Yeah, it did, that which is amazing. Me. Okay. Yeah. It's not the most viewed trailer in that time frame. I think that's the trailer for It, which is, is in itself incredible. Mm. But the fact that it beat The Force Awakens, that bodes so well just for the level of intrigue and interest that this trailer has sparked. And you just see it just in the discussions that are being had. 
in like general media sites and on forums and on Twitter, like it has really tapped into the zeitgeist and it's really appealed to people on this very like intense level. And I, I just love that how it's sparked all this engagement. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really surprised that it got more clicks in the 24 hours than The Force Awakens did because The Force Awakens was like this big cultural event. You know, you hadn't had new Star Wars in 10 years, so that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Exactly. It's great. And I think it also says a lot for the strength of the new characters because this new trailer was not relying on nostalgia. In my opinion, I've seen some people go like, oh, why do we get Atarts again? Who needs that? But for me, that's nowhere near the point of this trailer, which was, in my opinion, really closely concentrated on all the new characters and their dynamics and their challenges. Mm-hmm. So like Ray and Kylo and Finn and Poe, etc., etc. Like, that was the point of this trailer. And I think it's so encouraging to see that people care enough about those characters to be having these intense conversations about them rather than about the things that carried over from the original trilogy. So Yeah, and I do think that was a big part of the success of The Force Awakens because we've heard it a million times that it was a remake of A New Hope, and I'll never mm. believe that. <laughs> no. Because um, its real triumph was these new characters, and J.J. is great at that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like that's what's going to make the new trilogy because it can't sustain its steam on the older generation of actors and characters because Star Wars is fundamentally a coming of age fairy tale. So yeah. I think, yeah, that really bodes well for it, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. So if you think about how Luke and Leia are used in the trailer, they're both used in relation to Rain Kylo. So mm-hmm. Luke is there in order to provide this quasi antagonistic force to Ray, like because she obviously wants this thing from him and he refuses to give it to her and he presents her with a challenge that she has to overcome and with Leia she obviously represents this tie to Kylo's past that he has to make a choice about in terms of why should I fire, should I not fire, etc etc and yeah that's exactly the right focus because as Mark Hamill has said many times, the older characters are now here to support the new ones. They're not the leads anymore because they had their story in the original trilogy. And yeah, just this trailer, man, is so good. Yeah, like the, I, I get why people are maybe a bit worried when like people like Mark Hamill say those kind of things that they're supporting characters now and it's not supposed to say they're unimportant yeah it's just that their arcs within the story support the larger arcs of the newer characters yeah so i'm i'm really excited about what luke looks like he's going to be in this movie yeah Um, and i feel like it's perfect if we look at what ray's heroine journey is going to be it totally makes sense for him to be in that mold yeah um because she does need that challenge and um it does need to play on her weaknesses which you know we've had this reported in places like entertainment weekly now like he's gonna play into however unintentionally um her abandonment issues yeah and and that's gonna have real implications for what she does next as we can see from the trailer so yeah it's awesome (laughs) um right so the main topic of this podcast is going to be our breakdown of the trailer for the last jedi because obviously we've already talked about it quite a lot, but that has all been very random, like, oh my god, this is so amazing, <laughs> um, reactions, which is fun as well, but that's obviously quite a different thing from actually getting deep into the nitty-gritty of it. 
So, yeah, we're going to go through and break it down shot by shot. That doesn't mean literally shot by shot because there's a limit to how much we can say about the pictures of the space battles because that's not our jam. But the shots where there's something tangible going on, then we can have a conversation about those. Um, And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing this because... Me too. Yeah, the first time we podcasted about this... That was obviously just all raw emotion and impulse. And now we've actually had time for things to settle and form rational thoughts. So, yeah. <laughs> Right. So then the first shot is of Kylo from the back. He's kind of silhouetted and he's looking out over what is clearly some kind of first order facility. Um, you can see like Atats and other military stuff. Um, I can't describe very well, so I don't have the appropriate language for it. But <laughs> There's like sparks flying off some of the machinery and yeah, it looks like very industrial. Yeah, exactly. Um, this shot, the most striking thing for me is just how beautifully composed it is. Just mm. from a filmmaking standpoint, it's so beautifully put together. I look at that and I'm like, oh my god, this film is so good. Obviously, that's premature, but just in terms of the craft, because, yeah, it's so much thought went into that, and it just looks gorgeous. And I love the mood it sets up, because it immediately establishes this mood of, like, contemplation and reflection, which is really yeah, nice. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that shot in the teaser trailer of Ray, like, in front of the water. Yes, that's a really good and point. And you can, this has the reflective surface there as well, so it's... I think it's meant to be a kind of parallel. Or at least that's how I'm taking it, like the combination of the teaser and trailer. Yeah. That's a really good point. It'd be interesting they were actually intercut in the film itself. Mm. So you go from Ray looking out over the ocean to Kylo looking out over this facility. That'd be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I think my first reaction to this when I first saw it is like, I can't believe they started the trailer with Kylo. What is in store? So that like immediately took me aback because I wasn't expecting that because Kylo has previously been quite an understated presence in the promotion. Like at Star Celebration, he wasn't really even talked about by name at all. And mm-hmm. in the teaser, there's only this one brief shot. So I wasn't expecting much in terms of coverage of that character. But yeah, just seeing this shot, that immediately made me think, wow, my ch- expectations are being challenged in a great yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, especially with what Snoke's saying in the voiceover, um, because we've talked before about how The Force Awakens kind of like hints at this big backstory that you know currently have that will inform the story in The Last Jedi, right? Yeah. Um, so I feel like they're setting up that idea now yeah. that there's lots of information the audience doesn't have that is going to change their perceptions yeah. um, surrounding Snoke and Kylo and Luke. And Ray is going to be discovering that with the audience. Um, so, yeah, I feel like this moment of contemplation, like as I mean, I know there's been debate in fandom, like who Snoke is talking to, mm. because it's obviously supposed to be somewhat ambiguous because it's setting up this um relationship this parallel between ray and kylo yeah so like later on you have luke talking that way about ray's strength and how he's seen it before but i feel like for that reason it's probably more likely that snoke is talking to kylo even though i think some people have been 
pretty adamant that he's talking to Ray. Yeah. What do you think? I'll just quickly read out the line so that people are reminded of what's said, even though I'm sure it's drilled into people's brains at this point. Um, <laughs> the line is, When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power, and beyond that, something truly special. Um, and yeah, to answer your question, for me, that line is about Kylo. Um, like you mentioned, lots of people do think it's about Rey, and I certainly think it could be about her, and I think that's the point of a lot of the dialogue in this trailer, that it could equally be about either of them, because the whole purpose of this trailer is to draw parallels between them, and to say how similar these characters are, and how they've been on similar paths throughout their lives without realising it. Um, but yeah, for me this is about Kylo, particularly since it's very reminiscent of dialogue from the novelization where mm -hmm. Snoke is basically appealing to Kylo's desire for like approval and reassurance that he's special and just the sense of being unique and having a place in the galaxy. Like Snoke is all about offering that to Kylo in the novelization. And that's exactly what this dialogue is about. It's about saying, oh, you're so powerful, Kylo. You're so special. You're a special unicorn child. I love you. Um, and yeah, it's very grooming-esque. Shall it is say. creepy, yeah. And again, it's playing into those kind of archetypes that we've talked about before, like the divine child mm. um, that, you know, he was born to good, decent parents and then like lured away. Like there was always this element of danger because of his legacy and that he was always going to be powerful. Yeah. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to the podcast Knights of Rant because they've had this theory for a while. I think they're calling it the Harbinger of Doom. Mm -hmm. um, and their their theory is that um, Kylo fell in Ray's place, right? Um, and I even if it like doesn't pan out literally that way, I do think we're supposed to look at Kylo as Ray's antagonist and feel like she could have easily had that if if she had been born in the same circumstances. Yeah, like if if things had happened to her in the same way, because there is this element of Snoke targeting him mm. and, and knowing that Leia Organa's child was always going to be powerful. Yeah. And yeah, it's just really creepy. Yeah. And it also raises the possibility of, well, maybe both Ben Solo and the young Ray were on Snoke's radar, but Ray's parents were able to successfully hide Ray from Snoke so that she couldn't be found by him. And that's part of why she was left on Jakku, because we know there's lots of weird, kooky Force stuff going on in Jakku. That mm. means it has a bit of a weird relationship to the Force. So Ray's parents could have successfully taken her there and hidden her. And even though she had a crap life, at least she wasn't taken by Snoke. Whereas Kylo, there were limits to how much his parents could protect him, because Ben Solo was always going to be extremely visible because of the nature of his birth and how famous his family was so that meant he couldn't be like kept out of sight in the way that say ray could if she were born to nobodies yeah and there's this notion like we know from bloodline that there was this secret surrounding the true legacy of the family mm. um and that was kept from ben so it is like there was all this stuff building up that it was almost inevitable um that when he found out and when the galaxy found out that would seem like his path. Like yeah. he would have to emulate his grandfather somehow. Yeah. Um, especially if he felt betrayed by his living family. Yeah. Exactly. It raises so many interesting dynamics. Um, and 
I also like the ambiguity of when I found you, I saw raw untamed power. Because in the Aftermath books, there's the implication, and it is just an implication, it's not obvious, that Ben, when he was a fetus, when he was literally inside his mother, he was being contacted by the Stark Force. And it makes you wonder if Snoke is almost like referring to that. So when I found you, when you were a small collection of cells inside your mother, I sensed raw, untamed power. Because that is just another level of weird and creepy. Yeah, because that's the way... It is kind of described as this this raw power. I can't remember the exact quote from Aftermath, but it is like that it's just this overwhelming light and then it's shot through with a vein of darkness. Yeah. And, you know, Leia asks Luke, like, is that normal? And he says, yeah, everyone has a bit of darkness in them. Mm. Um, and then, of course, like, uses the classic Jungian quote, the brighter the, the light, the darker the shadow. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it. Like you say, that's ambiguous and it might turn out to be nothing because sometimes I look at the stuff in the canon books and I'm like, hmm. Um, I guess we'll see if it does consciously play into the, the trilogy itself. Yeah. But even if it's not like explicitly ever say, stated that that was Snoke, it's still this idea that there was always this raw power right there and it could be used for good or evil. Mm. Um and then now Ray finds herself in that similar situation. So yeah, um, and I also like that there's a visual callback to Attack of the Clones of Anakin. Yeah, because there's a very similarly framed shot when Anakin is like at Padme's lake house on Naboo, and I believe it's just after he's had the nightmare vision of his mother being tortured by the Sand People, and he's looking out over the balcony and reflecting on that. Um, and he's obviously deeply troubled by it and so yeah it just makes me wonder like how much of that shot is going to be about showing that Kylo is reflecting on something really troubling as well because I do think it's so similar as to be intentional. You mean if he's thinking about Leia? Yeah I think it could easily be him thinking about Leia or if not Leia just someone he cares about Mm. so a loved one right like obviously we can't read much more into it than that and it's possible it was just paralleled because it's a nice shot but no Ryan Johnson and just looking at the pose of the character which does immediately suggest contemplation and reflection I kind of think that there might be thematic similarities going on there as well as just visual ones but we will see Mm -hmm. Um, the next shot is a definite visual parallel because it is clearly a parallel to a shot from Revenge of the Sith because it shows Kylo leading a bunch of snowtroopers on what seems to be Crate, which is really interesting because we previously had no inkling that Kylo was on Crate at all. And so seeing evidence of that here is like, whoa, I'm excited <laughs> by this. I have absolutely no idea how he gets there or what the context is for that shot. But we're obviously meant to have neither of those. So that's fine. And I can jive with that. Do you like this shot? Yeah, yeah definitely. Like anything, people will know, anything that draws a comparison between Kylo and his grandfather, I, I'm all for. Yes. Um, and obviously this is a visual parallel, but I, I'm kind of on like the inverse Anakin train somewhat. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if if they're drawing parallels, 
between Kylo and Anakin from Revenge of the Sith, as opposed to Kylo and Vader, which they were doing at the beginning of The Force Awakens. I feel like that bodes well for Kylo's overall arc in terms of redemption. Yes. Uh, because it is more about humanizing him and and showing him as the Anakin that was very conflicted in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Like, your heart breaks for Anakin the entire time. Um, you definitely don't envy the choices that he's making, even if he ultimately makes terrible ones. Yeah. He's this horrible position where... He feels like, you know, he has to make these bad decisions, else he'll lose who he loves. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I love these little callbacks. Yeah, it's really cool, and it's a very neat parallel. Um. Yeah, just to be clear, the shot from Revenge of the Sith that is paralleling is when Anakin is leading like troops into the Jedi Temple, I think, on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, that obviously didn't end well. <laughs> so it's interesting to see how much of a subversion showing Kylo in what seems to be a similar position would be because I guess it also calls to mind the first sequence from Empire Strikes Back which oh, yeah. culminates with Vader like going into the rebel base on Hoth. So it does kind of scream that as well. And knowing Ryan Johnson, I don't see him copying that just to show Kylo arriving as all the rebels are escaping and him shaking his fist and go, curse you! <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's just going to be really interesting consequences to him being there and him leading his men there and all that stuff. But we really know nothing, so I'm going to be in blissful ignorance about what's going on exactly. But that's a good thing. Yeah, it's... It's so exciting that now we know from the trailer that he's going to be there, but we have no indication how or why. Yes. Yeah, now we just have to wait 60 or so days <laughs> to find out. There's been no information on that. So yeah, it's really intriguing. And we can hold on. We can hold on just that bit longer. <laughs> um, the next two shots show Kylo in what we are assuming is Snoke's throne room. And it's almost certain to be Snoke's throne room because... Nowhere else has that background. Um, it's just this violent red background, which is really striking, and it makes for amazing shots. Um, the first shot of Kylo shows him in his helmet, and he seems to be bowing, um, presumably before Snoke. And the second shot shows him reaching down for his lightsaber. I think it's very important to say that there's no way of knowing if these shots are actually sequential in the film. So... Mm the shot of him reaching for the lightsaber could be from much later. And we don't know if he's wearing his helmet in that second shot because obviously we only see his hand. My guess would be that they're from completely different parts of the film because I can't imagine why Kylo would be reaching down for his saber like that when he's presumably going there to prostrate himself before Snoke after completely screwing up on Starkiller Base. Because... Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if it was from the beginning, the the lightsaber would be like clipped to his belt or something like that. Yeah. You know? Where it's on the it's on the floor. <sighs> Maybe I'm probably playing just into head cannons now, but it just seems like something that would be um, part of some kind of confrontation. And it doesn't seem like the beginning would be that because <sighs> we've had this notion for a while that at the beginning of the the Last Jedi. Kylo is going to be given a dressing down somehow by Snoke. Right? Yeah. Um, because of his failure in The Force Awakens. So, yeah, I'm not... I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I agree that the way that's been cut, because you can't see his face or anything else in the second shot with the saber, mm-hmm. I think it's 
it's possible that they're in totally different places. Yeah. And I think it's also worth mentioning here that the helmet, he only seems to wear that at the very beginning of the film. Right. So that is what links that first shot of him in the, in the helmet to the beginning. And my bet, and it's just an educated guess, it's not based on anything solid, my educated guess would be that the first line, the line about, oh, you're so special, Kylo, you're this special Skywalker unicorn person, I think that dialogue would come in that scene. So when Snoke is first talking to Kylo, when he comes back to him, because I think he'd be trying to do good cop, bad cop. So he'd start off with like, oh, Kylo, you're such a wonderful student. You're so special for this reason, this reason, and this reason. But you completely screwed up. You know, I think it would be that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that line would come there. Mm. Yeah, and it are those the Praetorian guards in the background there? Yes, in the second shot. Not in the first right. shot, but in the second, where he's reaching down for his lightsaber. You can see the it's Praetorians. It's really hard to tell. I think when I first saw it, I thought they were just like pillars or something. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> presumably they just stood there like totally still, you know. Yeah. Um, Seeing yeah. them there like that, that actually made me think, wow, I love this production design. Because when you see the Praetorian guards in isolation, they look really weird. They look just like they were... They look just like supersized action figures. Because they seem so plastic. But then when you see them in the movie and you realise that the red of their costumes bleeds in perfectly to the background of the throne room, you're like, okay, this makes sense now. And then suddenly it fits together because then it's a really cool and eerie effect. Mm. Um, Because, yeah, it's like you almost never know when they're there because they're almost invisible. And there's something really cool about that. Definitely. It's, yeah, it just, that's the beauty of a trailer, right? It raises all of these possibilities for where the narrative could go with it, and you're given so little context. Exactly. It just gets your brain working. And the fact that he's reaching for his lightsaber with the Praetorians like that, it could mean so many different things. It could mean he's just about to clip it to his belt. It could mean he's about to fight them in, like, a training scenario. So they're going to spar with him in the hope of, like, improving his skills so he won't be beaten again. Or it could be, like part of a rebellion scene where he's turning on Snoke and thus turning on his guards. So, yeah, so many options. Mm-hmm. Um, right, then the next shot I think we'd like to discuss is of Luke holding the Skywalker saber and just giving Rey the most wonderful expression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it should be said that we now have a new TV spot that has new dialogue. Mm. over this part yes um it does the first thing he says is why are you here which i feel like fits his expression yeah <laughs> it's like get off my lawn you know yeah like i really just need to give mark hamill a shout out right here because his facial expressions throughout this trailer they are just amazing they like fill my world of joy because he mm. just has the most incredible face <laughs> he's like what the hell are you doing here bitch <laughs> Yeah, it really doesn't scream to me reunion with Long Lost Daughter. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, if it is, then he really deserves some kind of, like, Galaxy's Worst Parent Award. Yeah, he's just... I don't know, he's he's just not exactly welcoming, is he? No. I mean, yeah, there's there's that dialogue, but there's there's also just his expression. It's that he doesn't want her there. Yeah, exactly. He's, like, looking at her like he's offended by the mere fact <laughs> of her presence. <laughs> which is really mean um, yeah. 
Sapporo. Yeah, so it's not a warm welcome, basically. Um, and then it's important to say that over this section in the trailer we get some more dialogue, and this time the dialogue's from Ray, and she says, Something, something inside me has always been there, but now it's awake, and I need help. And again, I love this, because I think this is setting up a key premise for her character. So I don't think this is why she goes to Luke. So I think it's been pretty well established that she goes to Luke because she wants to haul his ass back to the Resistance so he can help to save the day. I think that's her initial motive in going to him. But Mm -hmm. then I think that as they start delving into the Force stuff, then that does cause her to be more introspective and think, oh yeah, actually, there are questions I need to answer for myself just beyond this like galaxy-wide conflict i need to sort out what's going on inside me and my history and my powers and so on and so forth and i think that dialogue is about establishing that yeah because there was no time really for ray to reflect in the force awakens nope um you know she discovers her powers while interacting with kylo and then is forced to use them because she's in this like physical confrontation with him mm-hmm. and then everything happens with Finn and they have to escape and then she's off basically straight away to find Luke and as you say it looks like she's kind of going there just because Leia's asked her to and she knows that the galaxy needs help but it's not really from her own you don't really get this sense that it's for her own personal stake at that point yeah with the fact that she's delivering this saber to him because she knows that he's the original owner of it mm. it's like it's you know you you are still wondering how would ray fit into this and that's obviously something that she comes to wonder too yeah like i know people have had these concerns about if ray wasn't a skywalker how is this her story um so this trailer is almost acknowledging that concern and yeah. saying yeah like we need to fit ray into this like why does all this matter to her yeah and from my perspective, it's clearly because of this connection that she shares with Kylo Ren. So yeah. that is that's what's dragging her into the Skywalker conflict. Yeah. Uh, and if we want to get like super big picture with it, like that's what we're talking about when the story is about Ray finding her belonging. Yeah. So. Exactly. Such an intriguing line, and it was also really reassuring to me. It showed me that. Ray as a character is going to get a lot of focus and a lot of attention in this movie because mm-hmm. that was a fear earlier on in the promotion when all we were hearing was Luke, 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 Luke. And <laughs> yeah. We love Luke, but again, as we mentioned before, he had his story in the original trilogy. So it's not like there's these huge open questions about the core of Luke's being that still need to be answered. Well, I'm sure that will be a part of the film because we obviously know the whole who is Luke Skywalker things a question to be answered that shouldn't be the core question because Luke isn't the protagonist Ray is mm-hmm. and yeah this trailer seemed hyper conscious of that and I loved it yeah and I also just really loved that it's clear that Ryan Johnson isn't kind of caving into that pressure with you see a lot with um female heroes that mm-hmm. they're not able to show genuine vulnerability or doubt and conflict um because i and i understand like ray is very important to people and she's been considered a role model already which is you know she's an icon after just two years Mm. but that can't supersede the idea of her going on a real arc yeah um 
you know, so I, I've seen some people express worry that she's talking about how much she needs help here. And it's like, well, she kicked ass in the Force Awakens. She doesn't need help. She can do everything by herself. Mm. But if a character isn't really interacting and developing in relation to other characters, that's not too compelling over a trilogy. Yeah, totally. So they've established her and we know that she's strong and capable. That's not really the issue. Um, but this is a coming of age story for her. So it has to have meaning and she has to make mistakes sometimes. So I'm just really glad that that's what's being set up here. Like, yeah. I'm, I just, I've always had faith in Ryan, like, just based on everything that he's been saying. But once again, this is going in the right direction for me. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. So I think there was this obviously, there was obviously this big Mary Sue narrative, which I hate and I know you hate as well. But off the back of that, I saw a lot of people saying that, well, what room is there for her to go on to do anything else? She's perfect already. Like, what's going to happen now? What's the story? She's already beaten the main villain. But that's kind of why we get these questions being asked. Because it is about stepping back from that. It's like, okay, Ray is very powerful. But what does that actually mean for her? Like, and how can she possibly control this huge power inside of her? And what does that mean for the wider story? And for her future choices? Etc, etc. So... Is not about negating people's concerns or acting like there's no basis to them, because this whole trailer is very clearly stressing that yes, Ray is very powerful and she's very important, but at the same time, it's also about making people understand that it's not straightforward, because being powerful doesn't mean everything's a piece of cake. There's lots of challenges and struggles that come along with that, and yeah, it's just great. Yeah, and I think again, if we come back to the heroine journey. Ray's position at the end of The Force Awakens, like she's about to confront the powerless father, but before that, she has that illusion of success. Mm. That's what the first movie in a trilogy will do. Um, the good guys save the day, and yeah. everyone thinks that could conceivably be the end of the story, right? But it's not. You know there's more to come. So she has this illusion of, okay, I've come here, and this guy is going to be the, the secret to fixing everything, and then I can walk away. And it's never going to be that simple, but that's what the story sets up. Yeah. So I can understand why people would have those concerns, but it's it's a standard part of that kind of arc. Yeah. Um yeah, that she she thinks she's won the war or whatever, but it's just the first battle. Yeah. And things are about to get a lot more complicated and the lines are going to be blurred. So mm-hmm. you know, even in relation to her antagonist, her notion of him as just this monster, that's not going to last. Yeah. Um because that's like this ch- again if we're going back to the idea of it as a coming of age story it's that childlike sense of morality that this is black this is white um but that's not going to be the way it goes for much longer and that's what the last trailer is showing us so it all fits together definitely um right then the next two shots they show ray on act two and she is approaching the force tree through the mist and is a beautiful, evocative shot. And there's not a great deal to say. In the trailer, it's cut in such a way that it looks like Ray's discovering the old books on the Force that we first saw in the teaser trailer. And my feeling is that that's probably an accurate depiction of what happens, mm. but just based on her reaction and the lighting and just the technical composition of things. It seems truthful. It doesn't feel like there's deception at work. Um, so yeah... I get the impression she's been left on her own by Luke after he said, no, go away. I don't want you here. You Mind your own business. 
she <laughs> kind of wanders around and then she finds herself in this tree with these books and then maybe that's what triggers Luke to actually start telling her some more things she's like oh she won't stay away I need to tell her something <laughs> to shut her up like yeah to- oh definitely I feel like they're being pretty on the nose here about the whole tree of knowledge thing as well yes so if it lines up with what we saw in the teaser because it looked like um Luke was saying the whole it's time for the Jedi to end thing if that does end up being in the final film um that's as a result of Ray maybe finding these books or looking at them and discovering things yeah so yeah maybe that's what gets him going with the whole no I don't want to go back to that and this is why whereas previously she was left on her own to figure things out yeah that would make a lot of sense because it f- seems like the final shot from the teaser where he's saying it's time for the Jedi to end He's silhouetted in the entrance to the tree. Mm. So if Ray is inside the tree at this point, discovering the books on her own, then it would make sense for Luke to do what creepy Luke seems to do in this film and just like <laughs> mysteriously appear and be like, it's time for the Jedi to end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless him. Uh, yeah, then there's some shots of Ray showing off how powerful she is. And... Again, they're very, very intriguing shots. And she literally cracks open the earth with the power of her mind, which is mm-hmm. awesome. And again, there's just more incredible face acting from Mark Hamill here. <laughs> oh, guys, meme worthy. <laughs> it is. It is. I think all of his scenes are just going to be a gold mine, like such a gift to um, <laughs> like Tumblr users everywhere. So thank you, Mark. You're amazing. You're a legend. Um, and yeah so it's again about establishing that Rey has this incredible power and it's also a dangerous power because it just seems to flow from her with what appears to be little effort because she's just meditating it doesn't look like she's straining herself that much but nope she's still cracking open the earth and yeah I think it's easy to understand why I'd be so alarming for Luke so it's like oh god what do I do with this there's like an element of recognition and that goes with what he says here. But it's also that he was not prepared to deal with this all over again. And he's kind of tried to wash his hands of it. Yeah. Um, yes. The dialogue that comes here, which it must be said is from Luke. And he says, I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough. Then it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's important to say that the shots of Ray showing off this power while meditating, they are immediately followed by shots of what is presented as the aftermath of the attack on Luke's temple, or more accurately, probably the destruction of Luke's temple. So there's a shot of Luke's mechanical hand r- rising up from underneath the burning timber of the temple, and then there's the classic shot of Luke collapsing to his knees next to R2-D2 um, and yeah so the clear implication is that we see Ray's power exercised in that meditation scene and then we see Kylo's power manifest in the form of the destruction that was wrought upon Luke's temple and that is just so fascinating Oh, I love it because this really positions Rey and Kylo as equals and I feel like The Force Awakens did that but if anyone has been keeping up with the fandom bullshit (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better word there's been all this discourse about how 
either Ray is too strong and a Mary Sue, or Kylo is like abusing her or dominating her, and then they're not equals, even though I think that the story has gone to conscious lengths to position them as equals. Right. Um, so I feel like this is what's really driving that home that they are posi- they are paralleled, but they are also explicitly shown to have equal strength, and that's what scares Luke. Yes. Um, and if you think about it, that's got to be really hard for Ray to deal with because he's equating her with a guy that she considers a monster. Yeah. That she's probably really, really angry with. So it's interesting. And that's very Jungian, isn't it? Because of this whole idea of the shadow. And that is Ray presumably being forced to confront the shadow in a very full on way because that's like in your face, you know? It's like, you remind me the scary force powerful dude who destroyed my temple and you probably also have a personal relationship with him because he did all this crap to you and your friends mm. that would really sting i think and that'd probably make her feel even angrier with kylo so it's like how dare you be similar to me how dare you raise these comparisons mm-hmm. that would be a real point of burning fury i think yeah, I feel like this is going to be a big part of whatever their mysterious connection turns out to be, that they recognize themselves in each other. Yeah. Um, and probably the aspects of themselves that they're desperate to deny. Um, yeah, it's very compelling. It's really cool. And I must say that seeing those shots of the aftermath of the temple destruction, because I'm going to run with that being what it is, just for the sake of argument, Um they really suggest a very different picture to me from what I was expecting. Because I had previously theorised that Ben had attacked the temple when Luke was away. Because how could he possibly take on his uncle like, head-on and win? You know, because Luke Skywalker is very powerful. And you'd have to be a complete fool to tr- launch an attack on the temple while he was there. Um, and that was kind of how I interpreted that shot of Luke with R2 looking on as the temple was burning in the background. That to me felt like he'd just got back and he'd just discovered this horror unfolding in front of him. But the shot of him reaching his hand out from underneath the timber, that suggests that it was something really, really sudden, like an Mm -hmm. explosion, something that brought the whole building down upon people and that he's literally having to claw his way out from that. And... This is like running with my head cannon, but that's fine because it's our podcast and we can do whatever we want. <laughs> but my revised opinion on what might have gone down with the whole temple destruction thing is that maybe it wasn't a coordinated attack that was done, like it's a deliberate massacre, which is what most people have believed, I think, up until this point. But maybe it was instead more like the whole Phoenix thing from the X-Men series where Phoenix is a character who just has this godlike power but isn't able to control it as she should and like so there can be these awful outbursts of power that are beyond her control because she doesn't have the means to keep the power contained and to restrict it and she can basically cause these cataclysms without like intending to and then that's a tragedy for that character because she doesn't mean to use her powers in this dreadful way. But sometimes if she's triggered in the wrong way or something traumatic happens, then everything can flow out and cause this wave of destruction. And I wonder if something like that might have happened with Ben Solo. 
Specifically, oh, I wonder if it might be the whole Vader is your grandfather revelation that triggered it. Because if from childhood he'd been struggling with the darkness inside him, but the whole time he'd looked to his parents and his uncles and the example of Anakin Skywalker, who he didn't know was Vader, and just fought all his family with these perfect beacons of light. And like, okay, I have to aspire to be like them. I have to be good. I have to be this perfect Jedi. I have to be this perfect pupil. But the whole time he felt like he was falling short and always struggling with this darkness and he just never understood why. And then as a young man, still struggling with these feelings and struggling with the temptation presented by Snoke, he finally discovered Vader is my grandfather. Vader and Anakin Skywalker are the same person. Holy crap, I think that would trigger this anger and that that would potentially trigger this power inside of him and cause this awful awful destruction and i would love it if that happened i think it would be fascinating yeah i think i said on our quick reaction that i like it it occurred to me that it could have been accidental mm-hmm. um because like we know that kylo ren you know he's called the jedi killer he's responsible for killing um his you know, co-students, but we don't know the story and it's been intentionally shrouded in mystery and presumably was going to be addressed in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have that stuff from Bloodline that kind of would fit. And if Luke is talking about raw strength, that does seem to imply that it could have always been there um, and it they weren't able to tame it and it had disastrous consequences. Yeah. Um so yeah, like I, I mean, there's even stuff from the novelization and like what Leia says to Han in The Force Awakens that she sent him away to Luke because she already kind of had these concerns, mm. and it might not have been like him being dark, as in like evil, mm. but that he had this untamed power, and because she never trained as a Jedi, and Han obviously isn't force sensitive, they they weren't equipped to deal with it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and. I also think that makes it so much more tragic, the idea of him going to Snoke, because then he wouldn't be going to Snoke because it was like, yay, Snoke, I really, really want to go to him. He's my buddy. Like, I love Snoke. He's my hero. It'd be going to Snoke as an absolute last resort, as an act of complete despair, because he would be a complete outcast from his uncle, because he's literally destroyed everything his uncle ever built, regardless of his intent. And Luke could not forgive that. And based on Luke's fear of this power, he would never accept Ben back again because how could he forgive him after bringing down everything he'd built and killing all these people, regardless of whether he meant to? And so then he goes to Snoke just in a complete despair because, like, look, I've been trying my whole life to avoid the whispers you've been putting in my ears and trying to resist the serpent that you represent. But now there's no point in fighting it anymore because I have nothing else. I have no one else. And I think that would fit very well into the psychology of the character we see in The Force Awakens because there's that whole line, it's too late, you know? He Mm. clearly thinks there's no turning back for him. And I think if he feels like that then, he's probably felt like that for a long time. And this kind of event, I think it would be so, so traumatic and so grief-inducing that yeah, I I think it just makes complete sense, and I hope it happens. So yeah. Yeah, and I'm really interested to find out why Kylo is adamant that the Jedi need to end, like as well as Luke. Yeah. Um, 
like whether they're going to have these explicit references to the prequels, which I'm not quite sure about yet, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, or like whether it's acknowledged that the Jedi failed Anakin in some way. Yeah. Um, and then because he is his grandson, you know, Ky- Kylo sees that um, and feels like somehow Anakin was fulfilling his destiny in a more satisfying way by being Darth Vader as twisted as that is. And he feels like that has to be his path too. Yeah. Because he's obviously not happy where he is. Like Mm. he's suffering. Yeah. And yes, he's inflicting damage and causing suffering of others. Like we're not disputing that, but he's not a villain who's reveling in it. That's so clear. It's even clearer from this trailer that that conflict isn't going to go away. It's, It's being made worse and worse all the time. Yeah. Ryan keeps on going on with this whole theme of Ray and Kylo's adolescence and facing like adolescent challenges. And if you think about adolescence, one of the key features of that is who you choose as your role models. And in The Force Awakens, it's explicit that Darth Vader is Kylo's role model. And again, going back to what we've been saying, I think that's probably because all the other role models he'd had had failed for him somehow. We know Han Solo had failed as a role model. The Force Awakens is very clear about that. Um, Leia had probably failed as a role model to some extent because he felt rejected by both his parents, her included. And Luke failed as a role model because he turned his back on him. And so then the only familial role model he has left is Darth Vader. And yeah, that's so sad. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I mean... We'll get to those clips later, obviously, with what Kylo looks like and his emotional state. But <laughs> yeah, he's not a classic villain in a Star Wars sense. And I know Vader was conflicted in Return of the Jedi, um, but it's on a whole new level. Like, you really feel for him. Yeah. Or at least I do. Can't speak for everyone. <laughs> yeah. No, he tugs at my heartstrings. I'm easily manipulated, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, then there's kind of like a pair of shots of like Luke delivering that whole raw strength speech and then there's like a shot of Ray looking extremely sad and betrayed <laughs> it's like oh my yeah. babies I'm so interested to see if this if this is the kind of scene that would play out as they're presenting it because maybe Luke's not even speaking to Ray mm. like I've seen people speculate that he could be speaking to a force ghost about Ray and yeah. like whether he should be training her or not yeah, but either either way, the effect is basically the same because it's going to be communicated to Ray that he's not happy about her being there and doesn't want to train her, and she'll she's going to have to understand on some level that it's because of what happened with Kylo. Yeah. So, like you know, we'll get to later as well. Like all of these scenes, whether they actually play out as they are presented here, um, it's more about like telling a premise very quickly by splicing various scenes together. Exactly. So I think with these two shots in particular, they follow each other, but they're clearly not like sequential in the movie, like just based on the environments and the backdrops alone. But that is not the point. The point is that, okay, so we see Luke, he's very, very scared of Rey's power because of what he's seen in the past. And then here's Rey, and she looks completely betrayed and dismayed by what Luke is saying. And while in the context of the film, she's probably reacting to something very different. The point is that they are getting across this relationship and how Ray feels in response to Luke's feelings about her. And that is what matters. 
So it's not about the specific shots or where they're from as much as the meaning that's being conveyed with them. And again, as I think is the case for the vast majority of this trailer, I think that meaning is inherently truthful. It's not deceptive in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because people will think whatever they want, obviously. Um, but I don't think that the trailer is designed to greatly mislead people about what the story is essentially about. No, no, do I. Because uh, what would the alternative be? Oh, psych, actually, we're just totally joking about the parallels between the heroine and antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that was all there in The Force Awakens. So this is just building on it. It's not like some sudden shock twist. Yeah. Then the next sh- pair of shots is Kylo in the elevator outside Snoke's throne room. And he has a rather fetching band-aid <laughs> on his face. <laughs> or as we like to call it in Britain a plaster um, covering up his scar and doesn't he have the most beautiful eyes (laughs) well I just noticed from this shot that Uh he's got the bandaid on the lower part of the scar but not the bit above the eyebrow yeah maybe they were short on supplies (laughs) (laughs) damn it's the end of the role (laughs) (laughs) sorry Ren you're going to have to suffer (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, it's a lovely shot of his eyes and his curling hair. Um, but then in the next shot, it's one action thing where basically he furiously bashes the helmet against the wall. And presumably that is the bye-bye helmet moment because I'm really getting the impression we don't see it again past these very early scenes. And that makes me so happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know people make fun of Ky- Kylo's tantrums a lot and... They are used for comic relief in The Force Awakens, so I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like this example, again, cements my headcanon that when Kylo tantrums, it's an inward thing, that he's he's angry about his own failings. Oh, totally. Because yeah. this is him destroying his mask. Like, that's what he's considered part of his identity for so long. Yeah. Um, and if you look at when he tantrums in The Force Awakens, it's always because of his own perceived failings, that he let the girl get away or he didn't stop Finn and it was too late. Um, so I must say, yeah. I love the use of tantrums as a verb. That's amazing, <laughs> <laughs> and I totally want to start doing that. Well, because I know, like on a superficial level, it's supposed to parallel Vader's rage, but it's very different because Vader was using it to lash out and kill his, you know, his subordinates. But Kylo doesn't do that. I know he like <laughs> terrorizes Mataka a bit, <laughs> but it's not the same way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you get these little nods to Vader, but it's always subverted in some way. Yeah, exactly. It's much more concentrated on the psychology of the character. Because with Vader, when he gets angry, basically the message is just, he's pissed. He's been let down. He's angry. Bad day at the office. He's going to take it out on someone. And kind of that's where it ends. But like you say, with Kylo, there's always something going on inside his mind. You can always see the cogs turning. Like, as he is, like, going into this petulant rage. And, oh, it's so great to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also worth mentioning it's a complete Hamlet shot. He is literally doing the whole, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. I don't... I, I can't consider myself a scholar of Shakespeare. But, again, it's just so painfully obvious the kind of archetype they're going for with this character. It's, like, not subtle. Yeah, that's instantly recognizable, isn't it? Like even yeah. if you don't even if you're not a Shakespeare expert, that Hamlet pose is iconic. Yeah. So 
They literally put on a t-shirt. I have the t-shirt with that pose on it. Like Kylo is literally holding the helmet like that. It's great. Um, right. And then we get some dialogue from Kylo over all this and his. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. And he says it so nicely. He talks so <laughs> softly and kindly. And I think he's saying it to Ray. What do you think, Kirsty? I do think he's saying it to Ray because I can't imagine who else he would be saying it to, especially not in that tone. The mirror. And <laughs> but that that's part of the point, right? Yeah. That he could be saying it to himself because I feel like mm-hmm. when he talks to Ray in The Force Awakens, um, you know, you're lonely, afraid to leave, etc. It is supposed to be him talking to himself as well because, again, it's about the parallels between the characters and how they're actually not so different. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like he's... I mean, again, he's offering his advice, whether it's warranted or not, um, for how to move on from what you consider an unhappy past. Mm-hmm. And, we, you know, we had nods to the fact that Rey needed to leave the past behind in The Force Awakens. Like, a lot of what Maz is saying to her relates to that. Mm-hmm. But has she yet? Because I'm guessing she hasn't if she's going to react to Luke's rejection in the way that we're anticipating. Yeah. Which is totally understandable, um, but this is what Kylo's saying, right? Like you can't let that define your future. Yeah, I mean it's pot kettle black because he does let his legacy define his future. Um, <laughs> yes, but maybe that's also the point that he's he has to go on this journey of realization too. Yeah, it definitely continues the whole theme of having all these lines of dialogue be potentially about both of them. So as much as he's talking to Ray, like it also needs to be said to himself. So yeah, like you say, he should listen to his own advice, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the next sequence is the very effective and much discussed sequence where Kylo basically seems to be targeting his mother's ship. And then you see them have this like moment where they both seem cognizant of each other and Kylo obviously has his finger on the trigger and he could press it and he could presumably wipe out his mother and the command ship that she's on but he doesn't Um, at least it's not shown if he does (laughs) Um, and yeah it's such a powerful little sequence and there's so much storytelling and so much character in it and I love it it was one of the main highlights for me from the whole trailer me too. It's such a treat to get something this rich in a trailer. Mm. Um, and again, you know, we've said before, it's probably not going to play out this way in the film, but I don't want it to because we've already had this now. Mm. Um, I want to still be surprised and impressed by what they do with the final film. But yeah. nonetheless, it is quickly telling a story in its own right. Mm. Um, and it works really well. Like There are little things you can pick up on that make you wonder, mm, is she actually... Because if you look at the background... Um, behind Leia, the other people there are walking around really calmly. If they were under attack, that probably wouldn't be the case. Yeah, it's true. So, so unless it's just like a private moment between her and Kylo, and no one else is aware of the imminent attack at that point, but yeah, yeah, it's still the way it's edited is really clever because it is looking like they're having this intense conversation through the Force. Yeah, exactly. And I really sense that it's still very much like about I love you Ben <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean look at his face it has to be something like that because 
Could he could he look less like a villain? <laughs> he cannot. He looks like He looks like a little boy. He does. He looks so young. <laughs> the micro expressions are incredible. Like I've always said Adam Driver's acting is great, but honestly, like there's so much emotion. Yeah. It's such a great showcase for him. And I just need to say how beautiful Carrie looks. She looks yeah, so she looks so good. And I think she says so much purely through her facial acting as well. And yeah, I'm so excited to see that whole mother-son dynamic brought to life by these two characters. It's going to be great. Me too. Um, it's also worth mentioning that Kylo clearly has some amazing moves. You see him spinning his tie silencer like a complete boss. That's a neat trick. Is Sorry, that a quote? It. <laughs> it's, you know, it's Anakin. Oh, is it Revenge of the Sith? And- yeah, no, um, Phantom Menace, like, yippee. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen the prequels for a while, sorry. <laughs> it's just so funny, because he is spinning around like that, and it is so Anakin, like, just such a show-off. It is, like, it's such, like, a hot rod, and it's funny, because that is not something people really thought, um, based on the character in The Force Awakens, so it's interesting to see that side of him, and, yeah, I it almost makes me wonder if the film will open with that battle. So it's the Battle of Dakar. Dakar being the resistance planet that The Force Awakens ends with pretty much, apart from Act 2. Um, because, yeah, if they do, then that would be such a cool parallel to Revenge of the Sith. Because Revenge of the Sith opens in the thick of a battle with Anakin and Obi-Wan in their starfighters. Mm. And, yeah, I'd love to see that kind of parallel, but... Instead of getting this like cocky pilot who feels like invulnerable and like he can do whatever the hell he wants because there's no stopping him, you get Kylo and he's a complete emotional wreck, and that emotional wreck status is only further cemented when he has this moment with his mum. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that'd be a cool way to do it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, again, with lots of these types of parallels and callbacks, they're not always like drawn attention to and it's not always so explicit but star wars fans still have fun teasing them out Mm -hmm. whether it's intentional or not it's still fun to look at them absolutely um then we get some shots of the falcon on crate i'm guessing it seems to be like they're in some sort of like underground tunnel things it looks like lots of mineral deposits around them and then we get the famous shot of chewie and the porg and the porg makes its Im- inimitable porg sound, which <laughs> I will not attempt to do because that's just a recipe for disaster. Um, and yeah, these are cool shots, but I don't find there's a great deal to say about them. We don't know who else is in the Falcon with chewing the porg, if anyone. So that's an interesting question, but who knows? It could be anyone. Yeah, it's just this cool moment of levity in an otherwise pretty heavily emotional trailer, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm guessing that this, for most of the audience, is the first time they've seen a Porg. So. Yeah, totally. <laughs> most people won't have watched that behind-the-scenes rule. At least not by comparison to this, anyway. Yeah. Um, I just think the interactions between Shuri and the Porgs are going to be so cute, because it's going to have that comic element, because the audience won't know what either of them are trying to communicate, <laughs> unless you have someone like Ray around to translate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, will, it will be really funny actually. Now you mention it like that, <laughs> I also love that the porks have those like sharp little teeth. Yeah, that is perfect to me. Like make them ferocious, make them killers. I've already seen a bit of pork backlash. Like, <laughs> yeah, same. oh, they're too cute, or they're they're, they're everywhere already. You know. Yeah, uh, 
I've seen a lot of, oh, they're just the new Ewoks. And it's like, like... it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's like, how can you hate Ewoks, you monster? People do, though. I really don't get it. Is it part of this refusal to acknowledge Star Wars as a thing for kids? I definitely like, think that's part of it. It has to be. They're always going to have these cute little creatures. Like, for nothing else, it's for merchandising. And again, that's something that people turn their nose up at, but... It's Star Wars. <laughs> like, yeah, people act like merchandising for Star Wars was something that came in with Return of the Jedi, but that is so untrue because Star Wars was merchandised the shit out of from 1977. My mm. dad has Star Wars soap from 1977, <laughs> literally soap. So it, it's nothing new, and people just need to suck it up. <laughs> Sorry, but they do. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like them, you don't like them, but. It doesn't have to like become this thing that you like die on that hill. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be like the main characters or anything. So, <laughs> right. yeah, they or... can have their own little side spin-off material. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. So then there's some shots of Poe, and he seems to be on some kind of ship that's been evacuated. Maybe so he looks very concerned, <laughs> as if he's looking out on something terrible unfolding that he can't really do much about. Um, again, Yeah, it must be hard for Poe, who's like this action guy, to watch and be completely powerless in that situation. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that they showed him almost like as a civilian type mm. of person. Because, yeah, we're so used to seeing Poe in that cockpit that this almost makes me wonder if... I wonder if this is the challenge that Ryan gave Poe for this film. Like, to actually get him out of the like X-Wing... And like get him in civilian situations and see how he deals with that. Because here it doesn't seem like he's dealing with that well. And that's interesting to me because okay, we might actually learn more of substance about this character rather than oh my god, he's really dashing and what a fantastic pilot. Which are great things, but they mean he's a bit of a flat character to me right now, and I'd love to see that changed. I, yeah, I don't know if civilian is the right word, but what whatever I think on some of the packaging we've been kind of having hints that he's being demoted somehow yeah but, um like he's going from commander to captain yeah but um it looks like he's going to be taking a greater part in these bigger decisions where he's more hands-off mm-hmm. like closer to what leia does yes um which would be a challenge to him i guess because even though he's in that room making tr- like he's contributing to military decisions in the force awakens he then goes right like let's go and actually do it yeah. Whereas if he's not in that position now, like I feel like that would be quite difficult for him. Yeah. Right. Then Poe has some dialogue, which is, we have a spark that will light the fire, that will burn the First Order down. So classic corny Star Wars dialogue, basically. But is nice, and Oscar delivers it nicely. And then as that's been said, you get some really, really badass shots of Phasma and Finn and them fighting, which is really great. And the only negatives that made me really conscious of how little Finn we get in this whole trailer, which is a real shame. Yeah, i am got my fingers crossed for more of him in the international trailer that hopefully we're getting soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and with that, Rose as well, because they're obviously going to be off on their own kind of little side of the story. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and what we get here is great. Like, I'm super excited to see this confrontation between him and Phasma. But he just has that little bit of dialogue. Like, that's it. So. Yeah. It's like, more Finn, please. Um, yeah. He looks great in that uniform, though. Oh, he does. He looks fantastic. And 
I, I'm really excited to see Finn prove himself this time because I totally understand people are coming from when they say that they feel like Finn was shortchanged a bit in The Force Awakens and that you never really see him victorious in a battle one-to-one. And obviously mm. that's not really the point of like a character. It's not like the character needs to win at everything they do. But I appreciate seeing the character get a really, really badass action sequence. Yeah, I I do have mixed feelings on that because as we've talked about before, like Vin's victories in The Force Awakens aren't about kicking ass physically. Oh, sure. It's yeah. his own, yeah, it's him overcoming his own fears. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I definitely so... wouldn't want this to be the whole sum of his character. There really needs to be more going on than this. And I have no doubt that there will be in the actual film. Because mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson's made it clear that there's definitely a lot more Finn in the film than the trailer lets on. But at the same time, I think it's nice to just have this as like a, a touch. like, And it makes an awesome trailer moment. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, just to talk quickly about like the whole Phasma-Finn confrontation thing in the context of the film. Like, all the explosions and fire in the background... They do make me think that the like infiltration that's done by Finn and Rose, that it must have been at least a partial success mm-hmm. in terms of like messing stuff up for the First Order, because yeah, like it doesn't look like a safe environment. It would definitely fail a health and safety assessment. <laughs> well, I've seen people say that this looks like the hangar that Kylo's looking out from at the beginning, but mm. I don't know how you would. Is is there a way to tell? Like, I don't know yeah. how familiar it is. Maybe it's just speculation. Yeah, I really don't think there's enough detail there to tell that, to be honest. Um, but I'm not the best for kind of backgrounds, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I might well be missing something that gives it away, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, we're missing all of the stuff from Canto Bite, so mm-hmm. that's all been leading up to this with... Finn and Rose going off on the mission. I won't get into it because it is spoilery. We haven't had that stuff officially yet. Yeah. But I I do think for that reason that, as you say, it looks like they've been partially successful in creating havoc for the First Order here. Yeah. And then this is like the culmination, like what, presumably once they've been found out somehow, yeah. Finn is brought face to face with Phasma. And it will be interesting to see how much the Phasma in this film like, like ties into the Phasma from the book. Because mm-hmm. we discussed the Phasma book a few podcasts ago, and we both really liked it and thought it was good, but it does present this very different presentation of the character that you don't really get from The Force Awakens alone, suggesting that she's completely out for herself, that she's cares about no like higher loyalties, and that she's just completely ruthless and selfish, and that she'll kill anyone who threatens her position or her standing wherever she happens to be in the moment. So, logically for me, that means that she'd be fighting Finn here as much as to silence him for what he knows, as because he she has a grudge against him for humiliating her in the trash compactor. But, yeah, like, I, I'm just curious to see if that feeds into it, because they have to do something at least mildly interesting with Phasma to make up for TFA, essentially. Yeah, I do feel like the book's characterization of her is going to have to feed in. Yeah. Um, because... If you look at really the the goal of the book, it seemed to be about justifying the choice that they made with her and the trash compactor. Yeah. How she ended up there, how she lowered the shields in a way that would fit 
her character because up until that point you, she'd been this beacon of loyalty it seemed like like unquestioningly just following orders from kylo and like being there as the example for the troopers mm. so if all of that's going to come crashing down it is compelling especially in relation to finn's arc yeah so guess we'll see that's cool um then there is a shot of luke he's in the rain he appears to be on the ground as if he's been pushed down or it doesn't look like he's lying there having like a chill time you know (laughs) and he looks angry and he says this is not going to go the way you think and it's a really interesting shot um i know that making star wars actually spoke about it on their podcast and like jason has said that he's seen stuff from the scene this is from should i read it out do you think yeah sure so jason said when i saw this stuff originally the way i heard that it goes down is that ray has the saber in a bag and they're out there training in some way she gets mad she uses the force outstretches her hand the saber flies through the air she grabs it and she ignites it but she is also moving pillars around she knocks luke down and she's also moving pillars like she's about to hit luke with the pillars and then he's like Oh, this is not going to be what you think. Now, th- those are intriguing comments to me, but I'm not sure what Jason's seen. So I'd be very surprised if he's actually seen footage from the film. And I'm not sure how that would work. Do, do you have any further context for those comments from making Star Wars, Kirsty? Well, I don't really, because as far as I'm aware, they haven't published an article about it. It was just mentioned in passing on this podcast. Yeah. And it seems like of. kind of a big deal. So you'd think that there would be an article. So I don't know what he's heard, yeah. like how how he knew about this. But um, maybe he'll elaborate at some point. Um, but I think it is intriguing because he he is like on his he's on the ground, right, mm-hmm. looking up at someone, and it does look like some of the rocks somehow fallen away, maybe. Yeah. Um, and there's is it later on when oh, I'm kind of lost now. Oh, no, it is later on when Ray gets out the water and it looks yeah. like those two shots follow on from each other. Yeah, yeah, that is but later. That, yeah, that might feed into this too somehow. Yeah, it does look like a similar setting. Although it's so hard because I get the impression there's quite a few rain scenes for the Act 2 segments. Okay. And I think if it's dark and it's raining, it's easy to get distinct scenes confused for the same scene. So yeah, it's hard and it's all about that message of caution (laughs) and trying to avoid jumping to conclusions about which shots are related to other shots because it can be deceptive Mm -hmm. Um, which we'll really be able to demonstrate in a minute when we talk about the shots you just mentioned Kirsty but yeah regardless of what's happening just I love the mood of this and the whole way the whole manner of Luke is really interesting. So I get the impression that he probably does concede and that he agrees to train Ray, but I don't think it's a very positive training experience for either of them. Like yeah. based on the vibe I'm getting from this. So I think he trains her with great reluctance and he probably does it in a really like punishing way. So it's the kind of training that is less than ideal for her given her already dark instincts. And it this is really reaching and I might be completely wrong but just based on the way he speaks to her and the way he's presented I almost get the impression that he might be training her in such a way as if 
to deliberately goad her and to deliberately set her up to fail to a certain extent because I think he almost wants her to prove him right about her being too powerful to manage in order to like alleviate his own guilt over Ben because I think he turned his back on him after realising I can't do anything for this, it's impossible, he's way too destructive, he's way too dangerous and so turned his back on him at that point. And I think if he finds that he can manage Ray, then I think that would be an awful discovery for Luke because he then realise, well, if if I can train this girl by giving her a chance, what did I do wrong with Ben? Surely he should have had a chance as well and that would be an awful thing for him to realise. But that is a huge reach like, and there's nothing really to it. I just think that would be an interesting way to take Luke's story and Luke's arc if they wanted to do that kind of character thing with him. Mm. This whole scene, like it really reminded me of that essay you wrote a few months back about Luke kind of being positioned as this angry god. Mm-hmm. Because the way he's talking, and we don't know for sure if it's Ray, but let's just roll with that because maybe that's what the trailer wants us to. Yeah. Um, that it sounds like angry and yeah. like vengeful. It does. And I, I don't want to think of Luke that way. Like, Luke is our childhood hero and all that. But it's kind of what they're presenting. And whether it ends up being a red herring or whatever. But is it? Because just the way, like, people like Daisy have talked about it. that You know, this, this notion of Rey not really wanting to meet the heroes that she was excited initially to meet. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of... <laughs> wary of how the fandom is going to react to this portrayal of Luke Mm. I've already seen people very concerned and I can completely understand it is a huge turnaround from how Luke was when we last remember him which is Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi so I can understand it being deeply unsettling and troubling but I think that's the point so I think Rey is meant to be unsettled and troubled by him as well because Ray is like the original trilogy fangirl. It's like, oh my god, I'm going to change Luke Skywalker. It's going to be amazing. And then it's like, oh crap, it's really not amazing. So we're going through that journey with her on a very visceral level. Mm. And yeah, I think that's completely intentional. Yeah, and I do think because of that, it means that Luke is going to get a meaningful arc because they, they had to set him up like this to some degree mm. so that he wouldn't just be in that kind of old Ben role which wouldn't have been particularly interesting um, or even like a Yoda role Yeah, like this is far more compelling it's far more of a challenge for Mark mm. um, yeah it's just interesting to see where it will go because I know lots of people have been speculating about whether Luke will survive The Last Jedi I think he will mm-hmm. so then they really have time to you know transform him again in 9 yeah and in a way that reflects the younger characters' arcs as well, like supports them. Yeah. So I think it will end up being really satisfying. It's just this is going to be the dark middle. This is the descent. So Totally. Again, like just the vibe I get from the dialogue is that he's kind of warning against like youthful idealism and optimism. So I think Luke is so jaded and so embittered that he would be completely like cynical about any hope. <laughs> uh, like especially if Ray would have any hope for Kylo at all you know mm. so I could see that kind of quote applying to that situation but yeah that 
what Jason has heard suggests something very different, and he might may well be completely right. But we will have to wait and see. Then we have ice foxes. Or salt foxes. Salt foxes, yes, you're correct. I guess they're salt crystals, but they are like the most badass Pokemon. <laughs> they're yeah, like so, so cool. Um, and it's not here, but I'm pretty sure it's in this sequence from the trailer. But in the trailer, there's a shot of the Atats invading crate. And it's important to note that you can also see Kylo's command shuttle going mm-hmm. in with the Atats. So that's interesting. So one would presume Kylo is on the command shuttle. I just want to say I'm glad he still has the command shuttle. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I thought when we got the TIE silencer that that would be it. But I like the, the shuttle. So. Yeah. I like it with its bat wings. And yeah, it's just pretty epic and sexy. So it's good. Um, and then there are shots of Leia. And she appears to be waiting by what looks like the gate to some kind of base on crate I guess like probably a resistance base or maybe even like mining facility because I think in the first shot the wide shot of Leia you can see what might actually be the resistance ship that people are based on and then perhaps that huge huge facility is just like an industrial one that's not really about the rebellion or the resistance um yeah, let's read him way too much into it. The point is that Leia looks sad and contemplative and she's on crate. And I'm glad she's on crate because that means she's in most of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, these shots are beautiful. Like, crate just looks absolutely stunning. Mm. And this is obviously a very pensive moment for Leia as well. Like, there's such a wide shot and she's the only person there. Mm-hmm. I wondered if any of this would factor into... We didn't get Holdo in the trailer... But yeah. we've had those behind the scenes shots and I just wonder like how she would factor into this. Like how much is she going to interact with Leia? Mm. Um, and is it going to be like someone kind of interrupting these quiet moments for her with, with news that probably wouldn't be good news. Um, mm. And yeah, like just seems like everything culminates on crate, which I wasn't sure about for a while. Cause it's going to be pretty chaotic. Mm. But, mm intriguing it's also worth mentioning that in the behind the scenes there's a shot where we see ray approaching leia on crates and leia seems to be wearing the same costume that she's wearing in the shots from the trailer so it's possible that that is around the same time as the trailer shots that like ray turns up and comes to have some news or some information or something and yeah again we have no idea of the context we have no idea of what that conversation can involve but it's all super intriguing. Um, right, then we get what is a classic example of misdirection and making you think you're seeing one thing when you're actually seeing something completely different. And that is the shot of Ray diving into the water and you see like the skeleton of an animal and it's all very eerie and ghostly looking. And then the very next shot, you see Ray rising up in the foreground and Luke is standing in the background, like surrounded by what seems to be mist or something. And you are made to believe that Ray is rising out of the water in the second shot, but she clearly isn't when you look closely mm. because she is dry, apart from her hair, which seems to be getting rained on. And Luke is being very rained on. Um, but yeah, the setting is completely different. And she's surrounded by rubble and smoke rising from the rubble. 
Uh, so yeah, Kirsty, do you want to tell people what we think that could probably be? Uh, should we have like a spoiler warning, I guess? Yeah, it seems pretty clear it's happening now. So yeah, spoilers. Well, so I, in our reaction podcast, I was talking about this as if he was coming and look like looking at her as she was rising out of the water because the same color palette, it really did look like it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it looks like they're surrounded by rubble and dust. So we had this rumor. I don't, I can't even remember how long ago it was. Um, is this guy called Bob and Spy on Reddit who posted about Finn and Phasma's confrontation and the weapon that Finn is using. Mm-hmm. So he seems trustworthy. Um, was talking about some of the huts on Octu exploding. And I can't remember if this part was speculation, but there was something about Luke being angry and maybe being responsible for one of the huts exploding. And yeah. Ray and possibly Kylo being involved too. What he said were the things he knew, so not speculation, but the things he knew, were that Ray and Kylo were inside a hut having a conversation. Luke did not like the conversation. It made him angry. And in response, Luke blew up the hut. They were inside. Mm. So that, according to the leaker, is what happened. So it's not speculation. Like, it could be wrong information that he had, but he presented it just as what he knew rather than what he was extrapolating. I, I okay. So this lends greater credence to the idea that there is an exploding hurt, but the other stuff I am still reserving my judgment on mm-hmm. because uh, because we don't have solid proof of it yet. So yes, this guy is looking more and more trustworthy all the time, mm-hmm. but as you say, it could end up being wrong. So yeah, it looks like that something to that degree is happening here, but obviously by design, Kylo is not in the shot if he is there. Yes. So. Uh, we'll, exactly. we'll see in time how that pans out. Yeah. It's a very enticing prospect to think that there's a good chance that Kylo is literally just out of shot in certain images here. You know, that he's there, but he's just out of our field of view. Yeah, it's interesting to me that it's still, from the official marketing, it's still being kind of hidden that Kylo goes to Octu. Mm. Like, we know he does because Adam Driver was seen traveling with Daisy and Mark to Ireland and was there for a decent amount of time filming with them. And if you look at some of the shots of him, it looks like there could be stuff from Octo in the background, but it's very vague and it just clearly, for whatever reason, they're not confirming that that's what happens in in the movie so far. I heard that Ryan had a list of certain things that he did not want to be given away in the marketing. And I'm wondering if Kylo on Octo is one of them. So while they can potentially use shots where it's not clear that he's there like from those sequences they can't use ones like where he's clearly in Ireland like I don't know fighting Ray on a hillside or something you know so those are out of bounds and that's really intriguing to me but yeah we will see so we're going to get lots of more we're going to get lots more promotion in due course so we'll find out whether they give it away mm-hmm. Um. right then we get some dialogue from Snokey Snoke that is fulfill your destiny um, and that is overlaid with a shot of Finn looking very intense and full of concentration and then there's a very wide shot of a First Order hangar with lots of troops and officers assembled as if they're being gathered to like witness something um, do you have any thoughts on what those shots are about Kirsty? 
Uh, well, looking at this again, it does now look like the hangar that Kylo was looking out on. Oh, yeah. This is a much that's clearer the same view. One. That is the right. same one. Yeah. So if, if Finn and Phasma, um, I feel like that would happen here as well. Mm-hmm. So this is obviously pre-explosion. Um, yes. So, yeah, that's interesting. But, oh, I just can't wait to see this because this is really Finn coming home and facing his shadow, right? Like, this is him walking back into the belly of the beast. Yeah. And, yeah, he just looks so determined. Um, and I do think it's a marked contrast from how he looks in The Force Awakens when they're creeping around Circular Base, mm-hmm. that he was just, he was going, you know, he needed to get Rey and that was what he cared about, but he was understandably, like, terrified of going back. But now this is, like, him on a, an official mission, he knows what he's doing, he has the resources he needs, um, and even if he gets caught, and maybe that's not to plan, mm-hmm. although, who knows, maybe it would be part of his plan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like he's much more in control. Yeah, totally. I think what might be going on with all those, like, members of the First Order gathered like that in that hangar, I think they might all be there to witness Finn's execution. Mm -hmm. So I think it might be, like, a demonstration. Look, this is what happens if you cross the First Order. If you betray us, you're dead. Well, haven't we heard that some of the new Stormtrooper designs were called execution troopers? Yeah, exactly. So there's lots of evidence to support the idea and yeah so even in the behind the scenes you see a very quick shot of what looks like John Baker's standing and he's basically on his knees on the ground with the executioner stormtroopers over him mm-hmm. so yeah there's lots of evidence basically to suggest that like Finn basically gets a court martial and is about to be killed and then maybe the bombs go off and then the Phasma and Finn confrontation happens in like the burning wreckage of this hangar. Um, and yeah, it sounds so exciting. So <laughs> I can't wait to see it play out. Yeah, same. Um, and I guess like they, presumably they're keeping a lot of Finn's story concealed because there are going to be twists and turns in it with what happens to them when they go to Canto Bight and stuff like that. Yeah. So very exactly. intriguing and to I see also, how it gets to this point for him. Yeah. And I also get the impression that with Canto Bight, it feels like that might almost be like a self-contained little mini-movie. So we've heard um, To Catch a Thief referenced as a like touchstone, particularly for that sequence. And it does just seem to have this real like high-life, romantic sophistication attached to it. And when you compare that to the other things we've seen in this trailer, I kind of feel it might feel a little bit jarring if you juxtapose those two things. Um, so that might be another reason why they left it out to try and create a specific tone and a specific atmosphere for the trailer. Because mm-hmm. Canto Bite is also quite early, so I expect it's probably going to have more light-hearted stuff in it than a lot of these more intense, heavy moments that we get shown here. Yeah, and it, it's such a visual contrast as well, isn't it? It is like a different universe in terms of what it's trying to say with the, the scenery and setting and that. Right, and then we get a pair of shots that are really, really shocking and they're like, oh my god, when you first see them. Like, this is like a huge wow moment for me. But you see Snoke apparently torturing Ray, So you get a close-up of his horrible, horrible face and then you get a close-up of Ray, and she's screaming in torment and it's really difficult to watch. And yeah, yeah she's kind of being like held in the air as if she's being bound through the Force. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's really distressing. Yeah, and we can see the Praetorian guards there on the corner 
Um, so coming back to that beginning shot, potentially Kylo picking up the saber could relate to this. It could. But that is just pure speculation. Mm. So. And another piece of pure speculation. So I do wonder if it might be a vision. Because I know this will sound weird, but Ray's expression there, it does remind me of those visions of Anakin's from the prequels where he's like seeing like Padme like crying out in pain, like her face just like contorted like that. And again, also the whole vision of his mother, like in her suffering horribly. And I just almost wonder if there might be some kind of like premonition of like, oh God, if I take her back to Snoke, this is what will happen. Um, but again, that's complete reach and it's probably really happening. But I guess I was just trying to rationalise it because I was like, why would they put this in a trailer? Because this, like if anything in the movie, in the trailer shocked me in terms of why they put in this here, why are we seeing this? It was this. So I guess my mind is kind of trying to second guess itself and think, so is this really happening? It's like, what? You know? Hmm. I think we do have to see Snoke doing something terrible. Yeah. And obviously, if they put it in the trailer, that means it's not going to be the end. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, whatever we see here is, like, it means that there's so much more to come. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I... I I think it's happening, and I do think we need to see Ray in some legitimate danger. There have yeah. to be stakes. So if it was a vision, I feel like even if they showed it as a vision, at some point later on, it would have to happen in some form. Yeah, exactly. So. Which, to be fair, I guess does happen in the prequels, because when Anakin has visions, it's not like he's able to stop the visions from happening. They're like prophetic dreams. But so right. His mother is tortured, and Padme does die in childbirth, so pretty shitty mm-hmm. um, but yeah really really cool and I think it does what it needs to by really making Snoke seem legitimately scary so I saw this and just this one shot of him alone that gave me the heebie-jeebies more than anything we saw of him in The Force Awakens and that's what needed to be done because I think for a lot of people coming out of the first film Snoke was just a bit of a joke and yeah, they really need to correct that, especially if they're making Kylo so morally ambiguous, because he's clearly not going to be like this big bad antagonist type anymore. So they really need someone who can do that. Yeah, I mean, this is the villainous moment of the trailer. Yeah. So yeah, it's. I mean, everyone's been kind of talking about the Last Jedi as if it will be Empire, but the obvious comparison here would be Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So. So when the Emperor's using Force Lightning to torture Luke, you mean? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that Fulfill Your Destiny line? Do you think he's talking to Rey or Kylo? Or Again, it could go either way. It's purposely ambiguous. but I'm totally split down the middle there because I feel like Snoke's going to have to say something to her here, like, you know, when, when he meets her. Mm. Um, and if he wants to turn her or... I, I don't know what the goal is here, right? Because like, maybe the assumption for the general audience here is that Snoke's trying to turn her to the dark side, but it could also be him following up with what he said he wanted to do in the force awakens that he, you know, he wanted Kylo to bring the girl to him. Mm. And then the novelization that's expanded on, and it's that he's going to give Kylo a reminder of the dark side. Yeah. So this idea that he's torturing Ray in front of Kylo because Kylo feels compassion for Ray and that's his weakness. Mm. Yeah. And fulfill yeah. your destiny could potentially be about fulfill your destiny by completely destroying the light. Because mm. Snoke could have 
correctly, in my opinion, surmise that Rey is like Kylo's main pull to the light at this point. And so by killing her, he would be truly killing his pull to the light in a way that killing his father wouldn't wasn't able to manage. So, yeah, yeah Fulfill Your Destiny could be about that cutting that last tie. And then that, again, fan fiction, mental imagination, whatever, whatever. But that could be the trigger that causes him to revolt and to fight the Praetorian Guard and stuff. But we will see. It's, it, yeah, I mean, it's also the kind of voiceover that could easily not make it into the final film at all. Mm, totally. It's, it's very generic. Because, yeah, exactly. It could just be about conveying the overall themes of legacy and destiny. So Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's also worth mentioning that there are no bruises on Ray's face here. And in the behind the scenes, and even on the, a lot of the toy packaging, surprisingly enough, you see that she does have facial bruising and injuries. Um, like when she's in this costume, which is apparently her Jedi training costume. So that kind of, again, points to this not being at the very climax of the film. So it suggests that she gets the injuries either during this sequence or after them. And yeah, I think, like you said earlier, Kirsty, that has to be the case because if this were like the last scene, then we would not be seeing this in a trailer. So, mm-hmm. <sighs> then we're here, Kirsty. We finally <laughs> made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my dreams have come true. Moment. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, we might get into it, or we might not. But I'm just so amused by the reactions this has created in the fandom yes it's been whether glorious. positive or negative like i just i'm so glad that the trailer bop dropped a bombshell of some kind whether it makes it into the movie itself or not like i just it's entertaining in the meantime yeah no just like you say with those trailer reaction videos often i will just skip to the moment when this happens because this is the part i really want to see the reaction to and generally it's the part that gets the biggest reaction so, oh my god, what? I've even seen like straight up denial from some people watching it. No, 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 she can't. She can't be. No. <laughs> that sounds like a Luke and Empire moment. <laughs> <laughs> it literally is. It's great. It's so meta. Um, but yeah, just to quickly get the most boring part of this discussion about these shots out of the way. Yes, the shots of Ray and Kylo are from different parts of the film. Almost certainly because the lighting is different and the backgrounds are different. And mm. Ray's costume is from early in the film, whereas Kylo has a healed up scar and presumably happens later and so on and so forth. But that's not really the most interesting thing. It's the most interesting thing is that the shots and the juxtaposition of these shots is conveying something very specific about the relationship between the characters. And here I'll just say what Ray says. And she says, I need someone to show me my place in all this. <laughs> and then that is immediately followed by Kylo reaching out and offering her his hand. And so even though these shots are from different scenes, the message, I think, is truthful in that we are going to get a heroine who feels lost and adrift and like she doesn't belong and she goes to Luke hoping he's going to be able to help her with all that stuff. He can't, or at least he can't help her in the way she wants to be helped. And then Kylo steps in, and he does offer her the help that she's craving. And, yeah, that's my read of it. What What do you think, Kirsty? Um, Yeah, in broad strokes, I'm the same. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people say that this is about Ray going to the dark side, but if you look at Kylo's face, he doesn't look like the classic, you know, Palpatine trying to turn Anakin or Vader trying to turn Luke. This doesn't, unless he's like a very good actor, which, you know, Kylo Ren does not have a poker face. No. Um, he looks like he's being open and vulnerable himself. Yeah. And, I mean, I've seen people say maybe he's reaching out to Leia. Um, maybe it's not even him reaching out. Maybe that's a separate shot and it's someone else's hand entirely. I really don't think so. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a... If you look at the trailer in general, it's all kind of culminating in this point. That it's going to through the efforts of showing you that there are parallels between these characters, even though they seem divided... And somewhere in the story, they're going to have to come together in some way. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at The Force Awakens, that really is the only way, in broad strokes, to develop the story between these two characters, because she already beat him. Yeah. Like, what do you do? You, you just keep them as enemies, to, like, defeating each other and point scoring? It's not a cartoon. Exactly. So, so they have to come together in some way. We've just got to see how. Um, and I've seen arguments for and against whether it's the same scene. I know that the it's very clever the way they've done it, um, like with the light source and everything. Um, and I think that Ray could be around the campfire that you see in the D23 footage. Mm-hmm. So she could even be talking to Chewie and just voicing her frustration at the fact that Luke refuses to train her. Yeah. But even if that's the case, all of that stuff is part of the same story that's leading up to this idea that she's not getting what she needs and needs to find it somewhere else. Or exactly. through her own inner strength. So Yeah. No, it's really cool. And it's such a great gut punch moment for the trailer. Like, just of all the impactful ways to end this, this is probably the most impactful way they could have chosen. And it's amazing. Like, and I just love all the debate and conversation that these shots have generated. Um, it's been fascinating to watch. Um but yeah, like you say, for me, so much of it is in his expression. Like, again, I have shipper goggles on. I'm a Reno. Hey. Um, but that is not the facial expression, as far as I'm concerned, of a man who's looking at his mother or a man who's looking at his uncle. Anything like that. It's very much someone who's, like, beseeching. It's a beseeching expression. It's like, please come with me. Please accept this. I genuinely want to help. I genuinely want to support you that's what that says to me i think if he was looking at leia he'd be more visibly emotional in terms of like feelings of shame and guilt and maybe with tears in his eyes like yeah like he was in the tie fighter so i think it's an expression that i could only really see him given to a peer right someone that he felt he was on the same level with someone that he felt he could be completely honest with without like completely prostrating himself before them as he would with his mother. So, yeah, so cool. And that background, man. Like, I want to know what's going on there. Like, where are those embers falling from? <laughs> it's amazing. Well, yeah, like, that, this is what makes me wonder if this is going to end up being up to, in which mm-hmm. case, by the time they get to Crate, if we're right about the, the general timeline, and it's totally possible that we're not, um, that they would have already forge some kind of alliance by that point mm. or if it or maybe it's like a vision and it's totally out of time sequence like we've heard that ryan's doing weird things with it so yeah no like it could easily be a vision like that background alone is quite mystical and 
like atmospheric. So that does suggest almost like a heightened reality feel. But again, it doesn't change anything that we've been saying. It would still be about the whole narrative of Kylo being the one to offer her this help and support that she isn't getting elsewhere. Because mm. it would presumably be him actively reaching out to her to make this offer, even if it is through their minds rather than in person. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I think what I appreciate the most about not just this shot, but like the overall effect that it creates, I like that it's clear that one of the characters is not going to overshadow the other. Because I know we've had concerns for a long time that if Kylo was going to be redeemed, or I don't just mean us, I mean in the fandom generally, Mm -hmm. there's been this idea that if Kylo is redeemed, he somehow usurps Rey's role as the primary protagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, especially because he's a Skywalker. Yeah. So, But I think this is all about emphasizing that they are equals. And that is backed up by what Ryan's been saying as well about them being two halves of our protagonist, two sides of something, mm. um, being the dark and the light. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I know people have had concerns about Kylo's potential redemption and that it would overshadow Rey in her own story. But I think that what this trailer does a really great job of is contextualizing Kylo's arc within Rey's arc mm-hmm. um, to show that they are going to develop in relation to each other yeah which of course is the way it was always going to be but i don't think that's been the general perception yeah they've been kind of discussed as distinct separate entities somehow yeah so i i really appreciate that this has allowed that discussion to flourish yeah i think this whole trailer almost takes that whole intertwined destinies thing from the data bank and it runs with it this is all about showing how Rey and Kylo are intertwined and how it's easy to get them confused and how their pasts have these really striking similarities and how there's all these unexpected parallels between them that once you have been made aware of them, they seem really obvious. It's like, oh, how did I not realise that? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's so cool and wonderful. Um, one thing I want to ask you now, and there's no right or wrong answer because we genuinely don't know. There's not enough information what do you think about, well, if Kylo and Rey form an alliance, presumably on Act 2, and then all the stuff with Snoke happens, so they go to Snoke and it all goes horribly wrong and Rey's tortured and whatever, and then working with the assumption that Kylo does turn on Snoke at that point to prevent Rey from being tortured and attacks the Praetorian guards and she joins in and so on and so forth. How then is Kylo flying into Crate on his command shuttle and leading ground forces apparently into the resistance base? Do you have any ideas about that? And again, there's no right or wrong. So don't be afraid to say I have no idea because I, I don't, don't really have any ideas. So. I, yeah, I don't really have any idea, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, at that point, it could be that I don't know. He's confronted Snoke somehow, but is still able to have this notion of authority within the First Order in general. Mm-hmm. Like maybe word hasn't got out at that point, or he's going there to meet Leia. Yeah, you know, people have been hoping for a reunion between Kylo and Leia as well. Mm. So I, I really have no idea, but yeah. it doesn't bother me at this point because we're so close that I'm just kind of excited to see what happens. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what I want. And again, nothing is all speculation. It's basically my mental fan fiction. But I like their idea of, they keep, of them keeping you guessing 
about what's going to happen with Kylo and what he's going to do right up until the very, very end of the film. So they kind of have him do this good stuff by helping out Rey and preventing her torture and stuff. But then they also show him with like the First Order as they're going into Crate when it seems like the First Order is completely won and overcome the resistance on the planet. And you see Kylo as part of that and you see him leading in troops. But then instead of like capturing his mother, he gives himself in right at the very end of the film. Mm. And then that question's finally resolved. I'd love that. But again, pro- probably won't happen like that. It's just so it was impossible to predict and that's so exciting. I just yeah. can't stress that enough. It's great. Just looking at the way Ryan Johnson seems to unfold his stories, like I think there could be this ambiguous element where the audience isn't sure where Kylo is by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, or like if he ends up looking like he's forged an alliance with Rey and then in the audience's eyes betrays her somehow and that's how she ends up being tortured by Snoke. Yeah. It's, it's impossible for us to say because there's so little, but there are all these possibilities and i think any you know whatever ryan does i think he'll execute it really well yeah so really it's just the best time to be a star wars fan right now <laughs> especially if you're a raylo <laughs> well okay so this is oh god there's just been this like ridiculous reaction to people like just like angry that shippers are happy about this which of course they would be whether it ends up being misdirection or not just let people enjoy it god what's yeah. the problem but also and i i think i said this in our reaction last week like there's just such a large misunderstanding of what Raylo shippers actually expect from the narrative or mm. you know just this acknowledgement that it's not a hive mind like yeah. all, the entire reason that corner of the fandom exists is just because we all identified the fact that there was this m- mysterious connection between Rey and Kylo in The Force Awakens mm-hmm. and you had to go to that corner of the fandom to even talk about it mm. like I know this sounds like hyperbole to people but I tried to go to places like the Jedi Council forums and it was banned <laughs> you couldn't and I know you did the same thing like that's where we met we couldn't talk about it yeah so I <laughs> I'm sure fandom in general will rewrite this and I probably sound really bitter right now. Mm. I think it's great that these questions are finally being discussed in a broader sense. But again, people like if they listen to us from the beginning, the reason why this was something we wanted to do was because for whatever reason, the fandom was just ignoring this connection between the two characters. Mm. Like it just wasn't the primary interest for people. And I, I, I will probably never really understand that because it was so blatant to me in The Force Awakens, whether they were related or not, whether you thought it was going to be romance or not, they were still the heroine and antagonist. Yeah. And it was just put on the back burner for almost two years, and I don't really get why. Yeah. At this point, I'm going to quote um, the movie on Monster Calls. It's okay that you're angry. I'm angry too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's it's really mixed feeling. Because like I was saying to you early in the week, I almost feel I almost feel like our podcast is going to be made redundant now because everyone is talking about this and this is what <laughs> not to be like we were there first yeah but just that like that's what a lot of people have listened to us for um mm. whether they're shippers or not and I don't know like it's almost like our job is done <laughs> oh I really don't think so to be honest I like it's I, I don't mean to sound I will sound mean and elitist but 
whatever i kind of sense that a lot of places and other people in fandom are kind of floundering a bit at this point because this has taken them so aback because lots of like sectors of the fandom have just completely dismissed the idea of Raylo and like everything that's tangled up with that so the idea of there being this special connection the idea of these characters being on similar tra- trajectories the possibility of them having similar pasts all that kind of thing a lot of sources of like Star's media have just completely blocked that out and now it's undeniable it's unequivocally undeniable I think people are kind of scrambling to a certain extent and yeah like so we've just been ahead of the curve you know and I know that can sound smug but it's just true like we have been talking about all these things since we started this podcast like you said Kirsty that's the reason we started this podcast so I think we we have like a lexicon that we can use to talk about these things in a way that lots of other places can't because it's just hit them like a ton of bricks mm. and yeah I, I and I really don't think we're redundant basically I think, L- listeners let us know but yeah well, I really appreciate like we had a lot of shout outs from listeners this week with people mm-hmm. saying like on Twitter and various places like on podcasts as well that mm-hmm. they felt like we had prepared them for what was shown in the trailer mm. um so I you know, like I, I, I want to thank our listeners, and I suppose it's timely because this is our year anniversary podcast. Um, that it's been really fun and really rewarding to interact with people, and we kind of did put ourselves out there because I was saying on Twitter the other day, like we have had pretty negative reactions to some of the things that we theorized that have since been proven correct, mm-hmm. and it was just evident to us in the Force Awakens, and we were excited about it. And it wasn't us; it was the creators. Um, I am still more skeptical than you about the romantic aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, it might go that way, it might not, but what's indisputable is this connection between them and the fact that that's going to be explored and that's the core of the story and that was what we were always saying, so. Yeah, exactly. That's like the centre point of Raylo, much more than like kissing or sex or anything. <laughs> like, and I think that's the central misunderstanding about what it is. Like, people have a very... um superficial rendering of it sometimes and of course there's a romantic aspect and that's very very important because a large amount of Raylo has been to do with shipping um, but that's not the be all and end all people ship Raylo because they saw the connection between the characters in the movie so you can't separate those two things the connection between the characters is where the whole theory comes from and that connection has now been completely vindicated. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. It's a good yeah, it's, it's going to be really exciting now to see where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. Because as confident as we were in our understanding of The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. um, we we didn't know what was going to happen next. We've theorized about it. And, you know, we've had people on the show who've written essays about where things might go based on existing narratives in this framework of the heroine, heroine journey and fairy tales with like a monstrous antagonist who turns out to be a young man um Mm -hmm. so there's all this stuff there that is potential but there's so much that we don't know yet and that's really exciting exactly right i think that's a good point on which to end this um i'm sure we're gonna continue talking about this trailer for a very long time because there's so much to say and it's so amazing um 
but yeah i think we've covered the main points for now um we are also where there's been a few other things floating around like there's new forces of destiny episodes for example but we're going to save those until we have the rest of the episodes which are going to be coming towards the end of october i believe um so yeah you can look forward to our forces of destiny discussion later um but for now i will sign off so i'm rachel you can find me at star wars nonsense on tumblr and at journal of the star wars on wordpress where can people find you kirsty i'm bastila bay on tumblr and scavengers horde on twitter thank you for listening and until next time bye bye